If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. <laughs> Hi, Marleya. Hi, Patrice. Hi, Courtney. Hey, Courtney. Hi. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Cheers. Jingle, jingle, jingle. You can hear the sleigh bells ring. I am old Chris Kringle. I'm the king oh, wow. of jingling. I thought we were just going like, to come up with the jingle juice song. I was like all on board. <laughs> nope, I'm just at the reindeer. I'm, I'm at Rudolph now. Jingle juice. That didn't sound like Rudolph. It was from Rudolph. It was from Rudolph, the claymation one from the 60s. Believe me, I know. Oh, man. I know the entire thing inside She's... out and backwards. Also forwards. <laughs> and sideways. And, and we're sideways. already tipsy. We've only had half of one drink. So. Jingle juice. Jingle juice. Jingle juice. Tell us about it, Courtney. Yes. It's everything. <laughs> All in one glass. <laughs> it has one, two, three, three liquors, two liqueurs. So five shots of alcohol. <laughs> yes, it, it will get and your jingle on. Juice and juice and juice. Hunch, hunch, hunch. And drunk, drunk, drunk. <laughs> yeah. Holiday hunch punch? No, that went out the window when I read the Urban Dictionary. Right. No. Yes. no. The go elf yourself? Yeah, We're still like, <laughs> like maybe. Maybe. We'll still play with that. Jingle, jingle juice. juice. I think jingle juice is perfect. Yeah. Essentially, it's like hunch punch, though. Right. Or Bahama Mama, if like kind of Bahama Mama doesn't have it has dark rum, light rum, vodka, peach schnapps, triple sec, cranberry juice, orange <laughs> juice, pineapple juice. That's it. That's grenadine. 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 I'm. This is usually not for me, you know. But mm-hmm. we mixed it all up, and now we're getting mixed up mm-hmm. <laughs> really fast. Yeah. Shitty pizza over there. If you need to uh, put man, on like jingle juice and shitty pizza. Perfect. What else uh-huh. do we need? Doritos. Doritos, which we also have on the holiday season. It's cake holiday pops, season. which we also have. Perfect. I'm gonna do everything I can to turn this into a sing along. Let's see. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? Um. Oh, so episode 97 which is the last one i asked everybody who had an idea maybe what i was talking about for my stories to let us know where those stories my ghost stories took place and emma our librarian from georgia who did the zombie was the first to speak up so we gave her a strange south gift um and she said they are all from Disney World. That's Disney World. Oh, that's in yeah, Florida. I forgot. Yeah, Disney World. Haunted Mansion. The Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. So that's where my stories <laughs> came Clever. from. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's cheesy. But <laughs> anyway, it was an experiment. It was fun. It was fun. It's fun. It's fun. Contests are fun. Contests are fun. So congratulations, Emma. Your gift is on its way. Yay, Emma. Yay. It's on the way, yay. And <laughs> um, <laughs> are we rhyming? <laughs> Alliterations and rhyme and sing song. That's going to be this episode. Mm-hmm. And trashiness. And trashiness. Mm. Like trashed. Oh, yes. 
If you listen to the Easter egg from 97, I'm sorry, y'all. What? I think you're silly. She put. Oh, I love that song. I did too. She put it at the end. What? You (laughs) cut it out, put it at the end? So if you didn't listen through the credits, go back and listen through the credits to get your very own special Strange South Christmas message song (laughs) and song. Sing a song. Sing a song. And then sing along with it. <laughs> drink some, <laughs> some jingle juice, and then it'll be okay. Let's get right to it. Let's get to it before I lose my capacity to speak. <laughs> you know, sometimes you type things in and you get like, as we've talked about this before, you get like a story idea, but there's just a little tiny bit. Yes. And you just, so I found one of those. It's come up a couple times and I was like, well, that's a fascinating idea, but there's just a little tiny bit and in a couple different places. To talk about and you're just like, I can say that in a sentence. And, and then, then I discovered that there's one guy. One guy. Who wrote one book. Awesome. About this, and you read oh, that book. She did, and I ordered the book, and it took me, and it took an extra week to get here. So I was going to do it last time, and then I couldn't, and and then I started reading the book, and I was like, oh boy, oh no, <laughs> so Just many because, of those, so many of those books. Well, and it's like it's not, it's actually. I think for maybe a different person would have been a fascinating read, but me not being such a like war strategy sort of person, Uh, I I just was like, it's the type of thing where I would go to museums and they would get into stuff like that. And I would be like looking off for the spiders (laughs) in the corner and counting the tiles and, you know, like trying to figure out like what that weird smell was. Like I just... (laughs) I can't, you know, I just can't stay with it. You know, it shows up and I immediately go off somewhere else. Right. Interesting. Okay. But I hung in there. Good for you. And uh, I'm certainly not trashing the book because it's obviously like stellar research. And, um, you know, like I said, the right person would just be probably over the moon about it. So I did read the book. And now I can tell you. Tell us about it. A version of the story. So the book is called Rebels in Blue, and it's by Peter F. Stevens. And uh, it takes the the story that we're talking about takes place like in the uh, 1800s on Grandfather Mountain in Watauga County, North Carolina. Okay. So the mountain people that lived in Watauga County, North Carolina in the 1800s, they were feuds from like start to finish. Oh, it's the Hatfields and McCoys. Hatfields and McCoys. It's it's funny. I always think of that Hatfields and McCoys as like caricature. You know, you always hear about it. And it's like caricature people like you see on the like the wall of Cooter Brown's restaurant with like, you know, barefoot dudes with long beards and shabby hats. That's what I always like, picture. Like when the Mountain I hear. Dew Man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like the Mountain Dew Man. Exactly. Well, this is um, a lot of these like real life. Feud- well, I actually Hatfields and McCoys was real life feud, but a lot of these feuds actually came to the Grandfather Mountain from Scotland. Like they're... Oh. 150 to 200 year old feuds gotcha. where people had these folks are like raised mm. on vengeance as a form of honor. You could look like my granny. <laughs> jingle juice, jingle <laughs> juice. Um, Sorry. Samurai Jack reference. So like with land passed down over generations in Scotland, 
And then you've got like the same families living one hill over from the other that continues on when they kind of all emigrate to the same sort of area. So they've got people who are like harboring their great, great grandparents feuds, yes. like grudges. I, I understand those stubborn grudges. Mm-hmm. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that's apparently like the way a lot of families were in this area. So um, and this is the way it was with the Pritchard family and the Blaylock family mm. in, in North Carolina. So there had been border feuds between these two families on like basically who grazed whose sheep on what corner of the crag for like ages already corner of the crag <laughs> you know right from all the way back in Scotland <laughs> and then everybody emigrated into a same a similar sort of area yes. so they end up living like a mile and a half away from each other right and um so the pritchards are better off financially than a lot of other the other families in the county they have like an orchard they have some development on their land their daughter uh, melinda she's pretty she's five four she's dark haired she's petite but she's sturdy mm-hmm. um she knows how to do all the things girls are expected to do so she tends the oven she minds the stove she cleans the cabin she minds the kids she knows how to preserve but she's also really smart and she's really fast and she's not afraid of the boys and this is like you know in a lot of places you would hear this and this would be like oh that's kind of against gender norms but i'm not so sure that's the case in the mountains right like you got to be tough Tough. regardless of who you You have to do all the things exactly so she would beat the boys at races in school she she knows the mountain really well she's not like a homebody she would climb she can um shoot better than her brothers can she knows how to trap she knows how to hunt she's a very clever person so she grows up with a boy named keith blaylock and uh, they go to school together in a one-room schoolhouse in montalgar county so keith um gets older and he he's six two blue-eyed 220 pounds his dad died when he was really young and his mom remarried a man named Austin Coffey. And um, Austin, his stepdad, taught him how to fight. Like the family held some unpopular opinions in the area. And so he knew that Keith is going to get picked on. Mm-hmm. So he teaches him like how how to fight. He learns how to basically beat the shit out of everyone. <laughs> so he becomes Keith isn't actually even his given name. I think his given name is William. But they start calling him Keith because that's the name of a famous bare knuckle boxer. And oh. he's so good at boxing Ooh. that that he um, starts being called Keith and he has a very big reputation for it. So he's, but he's not just a dumbass, you know, he's not just a big lug kind of guy. He's, oh, he's also sly. He's intelligent. He also knows the mountain inside out, um, knows all the caves and ridges. He knows how to navigate everything. These two kids, despite their family's like 150 year old feud. Oh, is this like Romeo, Romeo and Juliet? Juliet. <laughs> I was just thinking that too. It's, it's weird though. They end up getting married in uh, April of 1861. So, like right before the Civil War. Immediately, like the month that the mm-hmm. Civil War starts. And it's like. <laughs> Cue North and so da 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 yeah so um even so the Pritchards of course you know never they actually never enslaved anyone like most of the people in the mountains didn't 
there were only like 2% of the country, of the county's population that were enslaved because everybody's poor. Yeah. Right. So they're too poor. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the right. Pritchards though, they're less poor than everybody else. And they kind of want to be even less poor than that. And so they believe that they have a right to own slaves and they will fight for their right to own slaves, even though it doesn't actually impact them personally because they can't and they don't. Right. Um, Austin coffee, who's Keith's stepdad, he is, despite all most of his family members believe indifferently, Austin Coffey is is staunch anti-slavery and staunch anti-secession. And oh, Keith good. adores him. Yeah. So everything he says, Keith just falls on every word. He he picks up all of these opinions and that is what he believes. So strongly. that's the unpopular. This is the beliefs. unpopular belief. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Okay. Um, so even at their wedding, bringing these family members together from both sides kind of starts a little bit of a ruckus. Like people looking at each other, they're, they're arguing over politics and secession because... <sighs> You know, by the time April 1861 comes around, this has been a topic of conversation for a good oh. long while. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's been brewing. And people, it's like everybody in Watauga County, they have opinions, pro or anti-slavery. But it's one of those things, like, it's just a political argument most of the time. It's like nobody really nobody's expects. affected by it. Yeah. Because nobody has, an, and because everybody's poor. They're just trying to feed themselves. Yeah. Right? And all I could think about was, like, the, the abortion argument in the United States with, with a big chunk of people who really have no stake in it. Right. You know, it's like everybody's got to have an opinion, but you're not even a woman and you're, yeah. you know, I mean, like, that kind of stuff. It's like, right. it's not going to impact you. But you've got to have an opinion. You've got to be able to argue it. And that's kind of the way things were with everybody, right? It's the Southern way. So they, but nobody ever expects to physically have to fight anybody, Mm, you know? And so everybody does have these big opinions, but they're just opinions. It's just like another addition to the feud. But then suddenly there's the attack on Fort Sumter and Lincoln asked for 75,000 men to volunteer to suppress the Southern insurrection, which everybody's like, hell no. Like right. you're talking about coming on a mile. You're talking about coming on a my land to my people. And it's like, it's not even about the position. It's about the, the land with a lot of people. And, you know, right. I'm, I'm 100%, you know, <laughs> pro union, but I get this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. this stuff is true. You know, right. It's, it wasn't all just like, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, it wasn't just cut and dry. Yes. There's a lot of different facets. So at this time, about 4,000 of the armchair secessionists in North Carolina decide that they are in just in the mountain area, decide that they're going to head out straight and volunteer and um, for the Confederacy. And all told, a big percentage of folks just wanted to stay out of it. Right. They wanted to, especially mountain folks, Mm -hmm. because they're kind of their own people anyways and they're like y'all never cared about us to begin with just let mm-hmm. us care about ourselves right you this know is, like this is y'all and and honestly i feel like for a lot of people in the south it was that <laughs> way it was like this is your war mm-hmm. well you have no stake in it because mm-hmm. you know they didn't have a stake in it yeah so yeah I, I which totally is unfortunately the way so many wars are right yeah. like that's it's so few people that really are going to win. Right. And it's all the people that are going to die. Right. That are going to like, that would have rather stayed out of it, you know? Right. But, um, so anyway, Melinda and Keith are like these people that like, is despite the fact that he has strong opinions Mm -hmm. that, um, he, he wants to support the union, but really he just wants to be left alone. He wants to stay on his lane. He just got married. I mean, he just got married. Like he doesn't want to 
go off and fight anybody. So the two of them end up going off into the high ridges to hunt for weeks at a time, just kind of get away from all the shit that's stirring. And so, um, you know, he, he doesn't treat her like wifey, you know, mm-hmm. like she goes everywhere. He goes, she, she What's goes her name again? Melinda. Melinda. And she goes up to the mountains to hunt with him. Like they do all this stuff together. Like he doesn't expect her to stay home. And he doesn't want her to stay home. And she can keep up with him or she can best him. And so... Um, yeah, and she sounds like a great companion. I know, right? Mm-hmm. He's And so that's what he likes about her, you know? So, but more pressure keeps on coming. Neighbors start being dicks, asking them, like, all the time, when are you going to sign up? When are you going to sign up? The Both of their families are on him all the time. And then, of course, you know, we all know, and we talked about before, conscription parties start coming on. Oh, my God. And yes. saying, you know, we're going to take you whether you like it or not. Oh, God. And, and this is like... Like the entire, you know, all these people in this county are, you know, so many of them, like I said, they want to stay home, but they're not given the option. And um, so for a while, a lot of folks in the area have this system. And this is what Keith and Melinda used to where um, the man would go up into the ridges whenever yeah. they'd see a conscription party coming. And then, you know, the wife would, Melinda would stay home and say, oh, sorry, you missed him. Yeah. And then they'd ride away and they would, she'd give a signal so that he would know he could come home. And that's what hog calls ended up being like the signal of the the women calling the men For some back reason, in I'm thinking from about the mountains. Cold Mountain. Oh, I was love that, that movie? Was that in there? There was something, maybe, but he had already like left when AWOL. Mm-hmm. He had es- like escaped or mm-hmm. something. But God, that's, that was a great movie. That was mm-hmm. a great movie for absolutely nobody to be Southern in that movie. <laughs> or Nate Zellweger like, did a good job. Oh my gosh! It's so, and that's like, sorry, oh, that's right. She was good. Mm-hmm. But I forgot about that. That gave me like life goals. I want to be a goat woman. You <laughs> yes. want to be the goat woman? I want to be the goat woman. Well, it makes me think. I love the goat woman. Thank and you. And that's mm-hmm. well, that's part of it too. There's strong women in it for one. Like, yeah, they had to be that way. Just because it's, during I the mean, Civil yeah. War, everybody's gone. They had to like make it on their own. But you know, I, sometimes it's not exactly the same. But he did come back. But he, is, you know, went a wall or whatever, and they yeah. were looking for him, and they were hiding him. I think. Well, and I mean, it's the time, and it's the same constant. It's all the same stuff, you know. So, um, you know, but that was the thing. They would hog call, and and you know, the men was would that know like, that they could come back. Yeah. Or whatever they would make up if there's a special one that they called. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so they do this for a long time. Like, a lot of people did this for a long time. But eventually they realize it's not going to be safe for either of them to keep going this way. Um, because it becomes, you know, the conscription parties put on more and more pressure. And they get to where they're going to rough the wife up mm. if the man they, you know they know you're in there somewhere they know right. you're there somewhere. They, they know the game that you're playing yes yeah. so um they get together and they develop a plan so keith decides okay i'm gonna join the confederate troops i'm going to um and then once i get once they get up to the union lines i'm gonna desert and join yeah. union forces oh. because i you know oh. if i'm gonna have to Good. fight i'm not gonna fight for the guys that i don't believe in what they're fighting for right so in November, he very publicly leaves his house to go report to his assigned company because he wants to make sure that everybody Everybody's in town seized. can see that he's volunteering Leave so that Melinda doesn't get harassed. Yeah. Or, you know, unhomed or assaulted right. or, you know, all the things that could happen. Right. You know, he's he's marching with Company F and I think what the 26th of North Carolina out of the mountains. And on the road, he happens to look to his left and he sees his kid marching alongside him. And this kid 
He's probably he, a real kid. Thinks kid. he's seen him before. He's about five four. He's got short, short dark hair under a little under a hat, kind of skinny, wearing an oversized untucked shirt, some baggy pants. And he starts to look a little closer because he can't figure out where he knows this kid from. And he looks at the hunting rifle the kid has slung over his shoulder and he realizes that's my fucking gun. Mm, and then they lock eyes and this kid winks at him and he thinks, Jesus Christ, my goddamn wife just signed up for the goddamn Confederate (gasps) army. Oh my God. (laughs) God. This is a real story. This is a real story. Oh Oh my God. And uh, so she had gone after him and signed up as his younger brother. She signed up as Sam Blaylock. And um, they needed troops so bad that they didn't really give physical. Wait, what was his last name? Blaylock. Keith oh. Blaylock. His Who stepdad's name is Coffee. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, so they needed they needed troops so bad that they didn't actually give physicals. They made sure you had enough teeth to pull open the... Um, the package that your musket balls and your gunpowder was going to be in. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you had to know how to do. And that's all you had to be healthy enough to do. So she had teeth and they just let her in. And she was like, you're not going to go without me. And the we- so I looked this up oh too because God. this wasn't common, but it wasn't like unheard of. It wasn't right? unique. So apparently there were at least 250 women recorded <gasps> as enlisting to fight in the Civil War. Oh and that's probably much fewer than there actually were. You blindsided me with that. I know, right? I was not expecting that. So there was a um, there's an article by Cassandra Dillard that's called Meet the Heroic Cross-Dressing Women Warriors of the Civil <gasps> War. And um, there are some pictures of the women on that site that had, had done this. But there was a woman named Maria Lewis. She was only 17 years old. She escaped slavery to join the Union Army to fight slavery under the name of George Harris. Um, there was Loretta Yanetta Velasquez, who was originally Whoa. from Cuba, <laughs> who fought for the Confederacy in the Civil War and went on to write a book about herself, about her life as Harry Buford, Confederate spy. Oh. That was how she went through the entire war. Her husband, you know, died shortly after she signed up, and she just was like, well, this is my life now. Oh, my God. Um, Such bravery. Right? And Oh, then, my God. I could not imagine. And there was Frances Clayton fought for the Union and um, signed up to stay with her husband like Melinda did. Mm-hmm. And, and part of, well... I, Part of it, it seems like um, some of them just didn't want to be away from their husbands. Some of them felt safer with their husbands at yeah, war than there. staying at yeah. home. Oh, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. And some just wanted to fight for what they believed in and didn't understand why they weren't going to be allowed to. Right. And Frances Clayton fought for the Union and remembers and relates the time she had to step over the dead body of her husband <gasps> at, on a battlefield. <gasps> oh, my and God. Continue- and then after she got through the entire war, she lived through everything. And then she um, she got out. And um, had to fight the government for the rest of her life because she was due a pension for her yeah. work. Oh. And she would never, as far as they know, she never got one. Fucking asshole. So, Did it, she get one as a widow? Um, she would have gotten her husband's. Yeah, yeah, she would have gotten her husband's. But she didn't get her own. Mm. So Melinda was probably like a combo of those those kind of reasonings. Like, yeah. you can't stop me. <laughs> it sounds like she was one of those, like, you can't tell me no. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so she went with Keith into Company F in the North Carolina 26. And they both were really great soldiers. They both drilled well. They both did their work. They shot really well. She did 16-hour shifts, like lifting and building, no complaints. Unfortunately, though, so the company's plan ended up getting changed. So they were supposed to be going up near the Union lines, and it turned out that they weren't going to be doing that. And they wouldn't have any chance to defect anytime soon. So they're kind of in a bind. Yeah. Um, And in January 1862, there's this skirmish near a river not far out of their camp, and Melinda gets shot in the arm. 
And Keith flips the fuck out. I bet. And he uh. grabs her and care, like bodily just like runs full tilt, grabs her and runs to the surgeon's tent all the way back in the camp. And then, you know, puts her down, waits outside. And he's just like, oh, Jesus, here it comes. And finally, the surgeon comes out. And there was a lot of blood loss, but the wound wasn't as bad as it looked. So he's like, you know, the kid is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. By the way... Your brother has boobs. We <laughs> probably need to talk about this. And so. Oh, it's good that it was supposed to be his brother because it's like he was very upset by a younger brother. You know, like the passion for that could be interpreted as like. Yeah. Because yeah, you got to save my baby brother. Exactly. People were able to buy it for a really long time yeah. because it was just like yeah. this bond that mm-hmm. they had between right. the two of them, you know. So Melinda's out. Until they caught on making out. Until yeah, right. <laughs> they always stayed oh, in the same the tent. Folks do. It was like, they got to stay in the same they tent. They always stayed in the same tent. Um, so uh, <laughs> so Melinda's outed by the surgeon. And oh, um, as soon as she's well, they're gonna discharge her, you know, of course, because that's and that's what they would do with any women that they had discovered. Yeah. You know, the others that were there. Oh good, they didn't hang on. Those no, they didn't do anything like that. Shit. They would just discharge them and send them Possible, home. Possible though. So um and Keith you know, he can't deal with that now. Originally, he was going to leave and do all this stuff. And now they've gone through all of this stuff, too. And he's like, I'm not going to be apart from her. And so he's like, this is not my plan. So he goes in the middle of the night and finds a massive patch of poison oak. He takes off oh all his clothes. And he spends all night rolling in a patch oh of poison God. oak. That's dedication, So the man. next morning, he goes to the doctor with <laughs> That's a... That's love. I know, that right? Is. So the next morning, he goes back to the doctor with a high fever delirium covered in welts, just like chills, oh fever, God, sweating. And so um, they think he probably has smallpox. And they won't touch him with a 10-foot pole. So they're just like, disability discharge. Bye. And they so send smart. him home. He gets a medical discharge. Him and Melinda end up having to walk all the way back to the grandfather with him with his high fever. How far is that? I'm not really, I don't know how far it was, but I know that they, you know, they didn't have, you know, they were, they were company horses, so they couldn't ride. I'm not really sure how all that worked, but I know she had to tend him for a long while after they got home to make him well. So they get back and they just kind of go back to doing things the way they did. But things have changed a little, like conscription had everybody on edge And it's a really cruel way that they treat people that aren't signed up. You know, like there's damage to property. There's threats all the time. So everybody's it's things just feel a lot worse at home. And there are also a lot of people who are coming across the mountains or hiding in the mountains who have deserted from the Confederate Army who want to go over to Union Lines. So they actually start acting as mountain pilots, which was what they call people who would take deserters across to you know, navigate the mountains for them and take them across to Union Lines so that they could go into Union territory. So before long, though, people in town start seeing that Keith does not have fever anymore, does not have welts all over him anymore. And they're like, mm, you should go back. Like, Mm. you should go back into the military. And they start threatening him with conscription again. So they report him to the home guards, and the home guards are constantly just coming to their house, coming to their house. People are such assholes. I know. Just just let people be. Hold on. What are you doing? How are you out here? Why aren't you out there dying on the field? Uh, Other people's business. I know. Just get out of business. I know. Yeah, you get to run around and tell people to go get killed. Why aren't you out there? Seriously. That's all we... (laughs) <laughs> it's a like bunch the, of busy bodies. The Baptist and the ABC store. No shit. But um, and the ABC store. 
Yeah, you never heard that before. Like, uh-uh. if, no. Oh, if, like, if you see, I if you, you okay. see that I'm in, in here, the then ABC. you got to be able to see me. And the ABC store. Oh, yes. You meant inside. Got yes, it. The allegory of the Baptist and the ABC <laughs> store. I <laughs> think the parable or, or of the, the bar. talents <laughs> or the bar. Yeah. So for the next year, they're back into this cycle of him running off to hide, hog called back when it's safe. Like, and the but they're they're really on to Keith now. Like they want they him have a bad. vendetta. Yes. So and they've got personal beef with him because all these feuds kind of co- start coming back in, and there's a whole lot of personal shit that comes in. And if you want all the details on that, there are bunches of family names he's, in this book. He's like, I went. They told me to go home. Exactly. He's go like, I did the best <laughs> right. I could. Uh, you know, a lot of people are out to get him for personal reasons as well as this. And so Melinda and he start taking to the mountains and the ridges, and they just kind of stop going down to the homestead hardly at all. And they basically start living up in the mountains because they know if they go back down, Keith is going to get sent off. He's going to get caught eventually. You know, Melinda's so good at this. Like they'd said that she could make her way across the mountain in the pitch dark. Like she knows how to do all this. So they start as they're up there, they start collecting other um, other shirkers, what they called conscription shirkers and deserters. And before long, they've got their own little militia up there and they're they're building like little um little cabins in the caves, mm-hmm. like little lean twos. And they live in the caves and, um, but you know, you can't live that way forever. So they decide eventually they're going to start to go to Tennessee. They're going to join up with union forces in Tennessee that are pushing into the state from Kentucky. Melinda is Sam again. Now she's just, you know, mm-hmm. she's going to go. She's like, I fought with you once. I'm going to fight with you again. It's a real tough go getting into Tennessee from there because of the number of home guards that are out after people like them um but once they once they reach tennessee they meet up meet up with this like unionist guerrilla group of people that's like they're in confederate territory but they're acting you know as guerrilla union forces behind Mm -hmm. enemy lines and they're like "Ooh, that's not a bad idea yeah they start thinking that may be the way they go, but in October 1863, she finds out she's pregnant. Oh, sh- oh I knew this shit. was she's, she's, And I, was, I, I thought this the whole time. I was like, how is that not going to? But she decides she stays with a friend in Tennessee while Keith goes and officially joins up with Union forces. He joins the Union. Okay. Um, so they, he writes to her about the battles that he's in, and he writes, like he tells friends, like, Melinda's really sorry she missed this one. Like, she would, she, ah! she really wishes she's there, right? Mm-hmm. She has a baby boy in April 1864, and then she just leaves she leaves him with oh my god the people and she takes off to join keith and join the forces she leaves the baby in knoxville for two years <laughs> she oh doesn't see him for two years wow um so short, girl. shortly after yeah, that it's one way to do it i know right they're they're both legally union troops and this makes melinda blaylock the only woman on record to serve in both the confederacy and the union Holy in the civil shit. war Keith is a recruiting officer, so he's basically given the job of doing what he was already doing. Like, he's sneaking back into North Carolina, into the mountains, and bringing people back to register for the Union Army. Who want to. Who want to, yes. He's, he's like, recruiting them. Sam, Melinda, is his number one. So when they go back to North Carolina as part of this job, they're, they, like... They get nasty. All of this time of people being dicks and and all the feuds and all the bitterness and all the attacks and everything is got under their skin. Mm -hmm. And they turn into fucking Uh nightmares. Oh, no. They um, two of them together. I swear they ambush Confederate home guard and the cavalry um, in mountain passes. They they they're so good at what they do, though, that they can sneak whole Union regiments into the state because they know the mountain trails. They can sneak like 200 people into towns through the mountains without anybody knowing they're coming. But when they're not doing that, they're absolute assholes like the towns in Watauga County 
County, the places that they grew up in, they come riding down on them. They loot for supplies, you know, because they don't have supplies, the the kind of job that they're doing. They don't have supplies or anything. So they're burning down houses, sometimes just of people who have been dicks to them, like not because they have anything. The Blaylocks become the terror of the county. Like yeah. that's they actually call them the terror of Watauga County. Like, See, so you should have mind your own fucking business. Yeah. I mean, what their their executions oh. talked about in this book. By 1864, Whoa. they're sneaking up on Confederates and cutting their throats in their sleep. Oh wow. Like they people there was a farmer who said, We don't ever go to bed without thinking that they're gonna come up, come for us in the night. So these guys are no fucking joke. And she is right there in it. Like she is riding with a rifle up onto the front porches of places where she was, you know, she sat and had tea with people when oh, wow. she was a kid, you know, and they don't recognize it's her hardcore, at all. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she is hardcore. So, you know, but these poor people, like on one hand, they've got the Confederate Home Guard basically kidnapping people for years. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, they've got the Blaylocks riding down Holy mm-hmm. Terror. Yeah. And so they become public enemy number one. They're usually really adept at being caught, but sometimes it does happen, or not being caught, but sometimes it happens. So once they got really cocky and the smell of coffee actually gives away their position oh, because no. only union troops have coffee and salt. Because they've, re- yeah, because they've you, cut yeah, off all the They've supplies. cut off everything. So they, the, the, the home guard can smell the coffee from the valley and they follow the smell of coffee up, <laughs> up to the Blaylocks. They both get shot like a lot. Oh. No, they live through the oh war. Oh my god. They live through the war. They both get injured a lot. He um he the, the all the details. I mean, there's like the entire middle section of the book is all the just nightmarish details of stuff they did and, you know, campaigns they were part of and everything. But um and all the all the revenge shit is in there. So I guess I would like this. I think you would. I honestly think you might. It's just the strategy stuff that threw me off. Like all the company this did that and went there, you know, that kind of stuff. But so the closer the war gets to the end, the more their raids really focus on that revenge stuff. And it's all in there, like I said. But he ends up losing an eye. She gets shot at least once or two more times. Um, The fact that you just... Even when you're not getting shot at, like you die from everything. I know like the fact every, that these like, the, I can't believe, and, and that they lived up in those mountains in damp caves and everything, mm-hmm. and didn't die. I mean, Long for God's sake. Stuff, right? So they, um, you know, and he also lost the the use of one arm mostly, um, from from injuries that he had. But um, when the war ends in 1865. They both accept discharges. They make it through the whole war. His is a disability discharge because of all these, like, he wears a patch and he's like a fucking land pirate. He's, like, got a bad arm and a patch. I don't, they moved back to Watauga County. And I'm like, how the fuck did people go home after this shit? Because, you know, everybody was involved in this to to one extent or another. I can't, it's like just thinking about going back to your neighbor's. After this is just like mind blowing to well, me. Well, I mean, if you're top of the food chain, basically, mm-hmm. it's like you know you've already established that you will kick your everybody's ass. That's true, but so. you know they probably want to like hang you in your sleep, too. right? Yeah, that's true. So he becomes a farmer and a store owner. He runs for office. He doesn't win, but he runs for office. She becomes a mom. She's four times over a mom. The townspeople hate their sons. <laughs> they said the whole family is reported to authorities more than once for like starting fights and threatening people and like disorderly conduct. 
She kept real close to Keith all through their whole lives because he needed protection sometimes. And his health wasn't great with this, these injuries and everything. They just never, they were real disabilities. So she packed. She carried a pistol around with her under her petticoats. And one time somebody threatened him on the street and she fucking pulled out a gun in his face and said, oh don't you God. say that to him again. Oh my God, go mama. So like they lived long lives, believe it or not. She dies in 1903. Whoa. She's 61. She dies in her sleep and she was only 61 in 1903 mm-hmm. and uh he goes a little nuts after she dies but I guess so. he lives 10 more years and eventually he dies up on the mountain he's like he's got these hand carts that he can like ride up the mountain and he takes the corners really tight as this old man i guess and he takes them too tight and he knocks the hand car i mean he flies off the edge of it and it lands on him and he dies in a wreck and right. which is i guess appropriate maybe for him that is the story of Keith and Melinda Blaylock, the terrors of Watauga County. Oh, my God. So they were very young in the Civil War. Yeah, they were she 19 died. when they got okay. married. When the when the war started, they were 19. It just seems like, because what, it ended in 1865, mm-hmm. the Civil War did. I don't know. It just seemed like, okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, anyway. That like, is cr- incredible. It's, it's crazy, right? I'm going to have to do some what research. What happened to the baby? Uh, all four boys. They had four boys. Yeah, and um, I, I mean, beyond they that, they in got in trouble. Then, yeah, no, they went back. They all they went, went back, back to Watauga County. Yeah, they all grew up in the county together. Wow. So causing trouble, well, raising cold ruckus. mountain is that. It's a lot about the home guard. Great that story. Is. Yay! I'm Good so story. glad. Yay! Melinda. Yay. Melinda. Melinda Blaylock. All right, we'll be Break. right back. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. All right. Okay. Christmas story. And we're back. And we're back. Christmas vacation. Uh, I've already watched that. That's, That's great. I introduced Max to Christmas Vacation. Did he like oh, really? it? really? Just now? He was all on board until they killed the cat. And oh. then he was like, fuck y'all. I'm oh. out. He's like, I'm leaving. Oh, yes. Just like, pretend like it lived. I always that's, do. That's what I told him. I was like, the cat's fine. The cat's fine. He's like, no, I'm out. And he's like, I know better. Oh, damn you it. can't do this to he's, me he's, now. He's like, why would they do that to the cat? It's like, why? That's not even funny. Brianna wore a I love She's him a beaut- so much. To Christmas, she wore a shirt. She's a beaut, Clark. <laughs> Mom's like, what? What does your shirt say? What is your shirt? She's a beaut, Clark. What's that? <laughs> so good, though. Oh, and oh, and another thing uh, that I got Max to watch is Shaun of the Dead. <gasps> oh, good. Did he love that? He did. Oh, my God. You can kill as many humans as you want. But Just don't touch cat. the cat. Do I not... feel that, kid. Yes, exactly. I feel that. Exactly. What was that documentary? It's like, don't fuck with the cat. Oh, don't, don't fuck oh, yeah. with cats. Don't fuck don't with cats. cats. No shit. Yeah. He's, yeah. All, he's that person. He's I that definitely guy. feel that now that I have Susie. Today. Yay. Tonight. 
whatever fucking time it is, <laughs> I am going to talk about Woodrow Darren Berger. I thought oh, you were going to say Wilson. Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> no. Woodrow Darren Bald Berger. Berger. Which is a name that I had nothing, knew nothing, heard nothing. No, me neither. know nothing about. But this name has sent me down a rabbit hole. And I'm just going to start in with this here, Woodrow. We're going to call him Woody. Okay, Woody. Woody. So Woody lived in Mineral Springs, West Virginia, mm-hmm. which okay. is like top central West Virginia, kind of near the Ohio border, Ohio-West Virginia border. And he was, he did, he was a salesman. So he sold like uh, stereos and sewing machines like in the 60s. Okay. Being a salesman, you have to travel, and he was coming home one night from Marietta, Ohio, and he was driving, like, towards Petersburg, West Virginia, which is pretty near where he lives. So, November 2nd, uh, 1966, he's he's on I-77 South, driving home to West Virginia, and he sees this car flying down the road. And it passes him, but that wasn't the thing that he was like really that threw him off. The thing was that when the car passed him, there was this weird ship like thing flying right behind the car, like it was Mm -hmm. chasing the car, which is why the car was driving so fast and passed him on the left down this two lane highway. And the ship veered in front of the truck that he was driving with his sewing machines and stereos and whatnot and slowed down and it caused him to have to slow down so that he wouldn't run into it oh my god but it was this weird unexplainable looking ship thing that had him do this and he it stopped in front of him like he slowed down and it stopped in front of him he was trying to go around it but the ship was like 35 feet long And it took up both lanes. And so he stopped. And when he stopped, a door opened on the ship and a man got out. What? And he walked over to the passenger side because Woody had pulled over kind of on the shoulder there. He walked over to the right side, to the passenger side of Woody's truck and he asked him (laughs) to roll down the window. And while the ship. Uh, of the truck the guy from the ship the guy from the ship and while he's doing this the ship in front of him goes straight up about 50 to 75 feet up in the air woody's like going what the fuck is going on does I'm, he roll down the window he rolls down the what window the fuck, though Woody? he's gotta reach over and crank I know, it down he's gonna yeah he, he does this he does this the guy, he looks perfectly normal. He has like a good tan, like a he's like darker <laughs> complexion, just you know, regular dude, except for you know, getting out of the ship looking thing <laughs> that was kind of a charcoal, glistening charcoal color. It's kind of like kind of a little bit like of a metallic sheen. So he rolls down the window and he notices the guy is wearing 
clothes like we would wear, like a jacket, but the jacket is also kind of made out of this shiny metallic material. And it's got like two buttons, like he's got a shirt underneath the jacket, it's like two buttons at the top, and the jacket has like a zipper, but it's kind of this odd material. And the guy is grinning. Oh, creepy. And he has his arms folded up like this. It was cold. I mean, this was in November and, you know, near his pits she's doing. Yeah, under (laughs) under armpits. Like you got his hands under the armpits like he's cold. And he he walks over and, you know, he asks, he's smiling and asked him to roll down the window. When he's recounting this, he's like, I don't remember him actually saying, roll down your window. Mm -hmm. He's thinking that he's communicating with them telepathically. And so he rolls down the window and the man says, you know, he asks Woody, he's like, what are you called? And he's like, you know, I am Woody or Woodrow. Yeah, instead of name. You're like, what's your mm-hmm. name? He's like, what are you called? And so he tells him his name and he's and he looks over towards the um where the lights are because he's right outside the was it Parksburg area. What what are these lights? Kind of like where what it, who are you and where are you going? And you know, he starts asking him questions, but he doesn't open his mouth to ask the questions. But mm. Woody's replying, you know, vocally, he's, you know, you know, my name's Woody and that's, you know, Parksburg. And he's like, Well, what do they call an area where there's lots of people and stuff? And he's like, Well, we call it like a city or a town or whatever. <laughs> this guy goes, Well, where I come from, we call it a gathering. Oh, and my name is Cold. Cold. <laughs> yeah, Cold. Because he's cold right now. You know, and that's kind of what I, I thought, too. I am cold. I am cold, right? And, but that's what, he, you know, that's what he, he says. He's like, you know, well, where I come What's from, your face like that? this is called a gathering, and my name is Cole. And then he starts asking him, he's like, well, how do you support yourself? What do you do for work? Do you have to work and stuff? And so he tells him that, you know, he's a salesman. And everything like that. And Cole tells him that he is a seeker. There's not really much like conversation going on because again, Woody's kind of in shock because this this <laughs> man came out of a ship. Man <laughs> came out of this weird looking vehicle that shot up into the air that's hovering over the vehicle while they are speaking in West Virginia. And he's talking to him while still smiling and, you know, asking him, like, weird, like, what are you called instead of, like, what's your name kind of thing. And what is, what do you call these Where's places? Where's the other car? It ran off? Yeah, it kept going. Okay. So I don't know if it saw that yeah. this thing was behind him or not. And so he's like, okay. So they have, you know, that little conversation. And then about that time, the ship comes back down and Woody watches Cole go back to the ship and he can see that there's another person in the ship that's standing at the door. Cole gets into the ship and the ship shoots right straight back up and then that's it. There's no lights coming off of the ship. There's nothing. And it was like a very odd kind of short. He didn't get to ask any questions kind of deal because he was in shock. And a lot of, from what I've read, like during that time, because this is in the 60s, it was very much that 60s mentality of 
somebody asks you a question, especially in the South and stuff, you'll just answer it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's no distrust. There's no that initial distrust kind of thing. Um, it's very polite kind of Southern response. And so Cole shoots back up in the ship and Woody drives home. When he gets home, his daughter, who is also has been interviewed, says that, you know, usually her dad comes home from his sales trip and he's, you know, very happy and he greets her and he hugs her and asks her about her day and stuff like that. And she's like, he totally ignored me that night and walked mm. straight into the kitchen. And she said he was like pale, just white as a sheet. And Woody goes in and to the kitchen and they close the door and they just, you know, they leave the daughter, you know, out to like eavesdrop, basically, because I think that's what she does. And he relays what just happened to his wife. And his wife is like, well, you've got to call the police. So they call the police and he reports this and they take the report. And halfway through, um, I think shock really hits Woody at this point, because about halfway through, he really becomes where he cannot talk. And so his wife finishes the story for the police report and then they they hang up i think he was scared to go to bed that night because he was just all that was so crazy and one of the things that cole told woody when he was talking to him he's like there's no need to be frightened do not be afraid i mean you no harm we only wish you happiness oh because he, he saw that woody was like freaking the fuck out and so he woody came home and freaked the fuck out basically but <laughs> he, you know Towards the end, Cole says, you know, you know, we'll see you again. We'll meet with you. And I think he's that, like, great. Yeah. He's like, what the fuck? And so he's freaking out about that as well. Darren Berger reported the encounter to the Parksburg police. And the next night, he interviews with WTAP TV in Parksburg, West oh. Virginia. And talks about the encounter. And this is on YouTube. This is online, like his original interview. Oh, wow is online for you to listen to. And he goes over, you know, pretty much uh, everything that I've already said. During the next couple of days, of course, this goes out like wildfire. And everybody's talking about it. And the police interview them, the TV stations interview them, the state police interview them, the airport interviews him, the Air Force Base, the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base interviews him. And during this time, too, others come forward with similar claims that they saw a figure matching Woody's description of Cole Mm. during this time. And and also during this time, there's been a lot of UFO sightings, like a lot. One person also, like, reported man matching Cole's description, tried to flag him down on the same highway. Of course, he was too afraid to stop and he didn't stop. So there was... There's actually reports of them seeing Cole on this highway during the same time in vicinity um, that night. Is it cold or cold? Cold. It's like I'm cold, like okay. I'm freezing. Is it Indrid cold? It's Indrid cold. Oh my God. I knew. Yeah. What? Hold Something on. I don't Hold know. On. We're gonna we're gonna talk. So ah. they've had all of these experience, you know, all of these reports coming into the police station. 
about this man. And even reports people saw the guy talking to Woody while he was oh wow when he was pulled over. And of course, but the the spaceship was fifty was, feet up by was then. fifty oh. you know, hundred feet up, so they didn't see the spaceship. And so, you know, they covered this in the news, but eventually died down. But once people found out about it, everybody started going over to his house, to Woody's house. Oh, my God. And Woody would just, like, invite them fucking in. It's just like, you know, he was having to work his sales position, but in his wife and his kid, his daughter, were at home. And there was always, like, people at his house. Like, oh, my God. Like, hundreds of people. Like, I think at one point they said that maybe 150 people were inside of his house that had Holy gathered. Shit. And he would, like, accommodate them. And just, you know, his oh, wife no. would, like, fix some coffee and cookies. And, you know, she was, like, <laughs> gallons and gallons coffee of coffee. Mugs. That's that, man. Like, yeah. I mean, and it was, like, a, this huge production. And, you know, he would just retell his story over and over again about this strange grinning man named Cole. Uh. Of course, there was, like, a lot of ridicule and scorn saying, like, you know, he needs medical attention mm-hmm. and stuff like that. but. He was very open, obviously, since he let all those people into his house and onto his property, you know, doing whatever interview, doing whatever physical he needed to be done. And a physician came in, gave him a clean bill of health. There was no evidence found that he was chemically imbalanced or had any kind of mental illness. He doesn't drink, so there was no, like, getting drunk and seeing, like, little green men or anything (laughs) like that. He even ended up writing a book, which is the book that I I listened to today, called Visitors from Lananos, My Contact with Injured Cole. The whole thing happened. It gets reported. It blows up in the area. It gets written up in the newspapers. It makes national, international news about this contact with this person from outer space. And Cole said that he would come back and visit him. Well, according to the book, he does like four days after the whole incident. Woody says that he gets contacted by Cole telepathically Mm. and that he has a conversation with Cole, who supposedly his ship is, you know, 50 feet floating above his house while he's talking to him telepathically. And he gives him a little bit more of an explanation. And he tells him, I am from Lananos. Lanunos. Lananos. Those fucking names, right? Lanunos. Lanunos. That's in the Gamamine area. Which Gamma mean, I think, is like a moon of Jupiter, maybe. Mm. And so he contacts him that way. And then he proceeds to like come in and visit him at his home. Not while anybody's around, but the, the people that are looking to see the UFO and everything, they're still like camped out at his house. A lot. People are like even climbing his trees with shotguns. Whoa. And he's like, at that point, okay. they, he got like really freaked out. And his mm-hmm. wife got freaked out. So they called the police. And of course, the police came and everybody ran off. But as soon as the police left, everybody came back. Oh my God. And it was just, it's just like the gall of people. Mm-hmm. It's like just listening to like some of the stories of what people 
how they disrupted and, and interrupted these people's lives. It's just the gall. Mm-hmm. It's just some people I just don't even understand. But, you know, he always would recount his encounters and he gained nothing from it. And he received, you know, started receiving harassing phone calls. He lost his job eventually from it. So there was nothing good that really came from this. But in the book, he says that about three months after the whole incident, and it kind of started dying down and everything, that injured Cole came and visited him again. And that he asked, he's like, would you like me would you like to go to Laninos where I live what he was a little freaked out and it's like you know I don't he's like I don't know if I'm ready for that so he invited him into like, like I don't have all my vaccines uh. that's interesting that you said that oh okay okay because Indrid invites him he's he's very like non-pushy if you're not comfortable with this we're not going to do it Oh, and so consent like, is important. In right. Recalls. Right. He, no he is probing without consent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So he's like, if you're not comfortable, uh, you do not have to. But would you like to look inside my spaceship? So he brings yes. the spaceship down. <laughs> Woody goes into it and he's he gets inside and he's like starts to like he's like okay this is cool this is cool and he sees like this panel like he goes towards the door that goes out because he's always has the door in view Mm -hmm. because he's still not trusting that they're not going to like abduct him did he say how he got there do you just like all of a sudden he was there well he's like i i guess telepathically said hey look we're coming and he's like okay meet you in the backyard you know, kind of deal. Did so he, he walk walked into in through it. The door. He walked he into didn't it. Just like okay, no, pop no he into d- it. he didn't pop into it. No, he walked into <laughs> it. They gave him a tour, and <laughs> he says it looks like a sideways chimney from a kerosene lamp. So it has like you know how okay. like the glass yeah, has bubbles. like the little bulb like the, in the yeah, middle. It's like a pear shape. Yeah, yeah, and he says like the door was in the bulb part, like a hurricane glass. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's like a hurricane glass. And so he goes into it and looks around. They give him a tour, and he goes. He's looking at the door, and he's like, "There's this light panel by the door." And he just like puts his hand on the door light panel and the door shuts. And he's like, oh shit, oh shit, the butt stuff starts now. <laughs> right. No, probing. And, but because they're communicating telepathically, Cole like hears him and he has his friend Panic. who was with, was with him the first time. This was the second the person figure. he saw in the door. Okay. Mm-hmm. That he saw in the door. So he goes in and they're laughing because they hear him freaking out in his mind. <laughs> right? They're like, he said butt stuff. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they were laughing and, and they were just like, just put your hand back up there. And so he does and the door opens back up. And he's like, that's just You're how like, our doors What a work. cute little dumbass you yes, are. <laughs> exactly. Aren't you precious? <laughs> okay. Hold on. Let me. I would be terrible. Like, how <laughs> I would, I would like to think anything. I would have been like, yeah, take me to your planet. Like, so the first like, time here I am, I've lived so, yeah, 43 so the first years, time so he, like, sure, let's do it. He did not take him to his planet. If it means I don't have to go back after winter break to work, let's do this mm-hmm. thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Take me to Laos. Take me to your... Laos. Yeah, Lanus. Lanus. Ganymede. Ganymede is the... Ganymede. Ganymede? Like, it's G-A-N-Y-M-E-D-E. Gamamine. Gamamine. 
Gan different. No, it's, it's different. Two different things. Well, no, this is the moon of Jupiter. Ganymede. Okay. Ganymede. Maybe okay. he misunderstood what they said. Maybe, or it could be possibly he has a like telepathic juice. lisp. Well, G A N Y M E D E, a satellite. Yeah. Jupiter, the largest and most massive of the solar system's moons. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> that thing, right? Ganymede. Ganymede. There you go. That's how you pronounce it. Okay. Second time he visits, he's like, okay, you ready to go now? And and Woody's like, okay, let's, let's do this. Do it! <laughs> it's like, but first, before we, do, just to get you used to how everything works, name any place on the planet that you would like to go to. <laughs> okay. And we'll go. And so he's like, how about the Amazon rainforest? What? You and could so, die a billion ways there. Uh, and no. they, Woody. He, he's like, so they zip up and a few minutes they're over the Amazon. They have like these windows, like like the things opened up in the windows. And you could see like villages and people running and stuff. So this kind of becomes like a thing for them. And I don't know like if Ingrid Cole is just, it's like a teenager that just loves like buzzing mm -hmm. like local cities and villages just to kind of show that he's got a spaceship and everybody's like going oh shit there's the spaceship it's ufos <laughs> you know we're being invaded <laughs> kind of deal. i like that idea of a teenager like <laughs> alien like but that's what they do they <laughs> totally the spaceship they, out, they freaked they, a bunch of humans out dad they did and and during this time period there was a lot of ufo sightings and you could sit out in somebody's backyard in kentucky west virginia in this area and be like, oh, yeah, there they are. And yeah. just like, you know, <laughs> it's so many reports, like hundreds of reports of UFO sightings. It was it's because so... Andrew Cold was 19 and was like, <laughs> <laughs> so Andrew got Cold. his first spaceship with his <laughs> friends and right. his little jaw all souped up, <laughs> got some dice, traveling all the galaxies. <laughs> Road trip. Road trip. <laughs> That's exactly what it sounds like, though. But he's married. He has a wife, and he has Indrik Cold does. Yeah, and he has uh, some <laughs> some offspring. So like two sons. And, Are they like tadpoles? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> so here's the thing. He ends up taking Woody to his home planet, and he introduces. Well, he. He shows them it first of all, and they like travel over Saturn and Jupiter and and all this stuff. And Woody describes it in the book. Sorry. Ooh, jingle juice, <laughs> jingle all the way. Yeah, it's jingling all the way down my throat. Ah, it's stronger this time. Sorry, yeah, I don't is. know what I did. Sorry, oh, yeah. that's all right. It's just burned a little bit. It burned me too. <laughs> but I'm almost finished with my so second one. He takes them and. He's like, I can't, like, you can't go there yet. We're going to have to stay in the spaceship because there you have to be vaccinated for no. our planet. Yep. He's like, there, we have different germs than you do. And um, you could wipe out our entire civilization. Or we could wipe or you out. Could, yeah. Yeah. I think it's more like we could wipe you out. Yeah. Like, you just can't handle But both. I mean, really? Yeah. It could bring shit. Yeah. Either way. Either Dirty way. earth stuff. We got a lot of dirty Either way. stuff. So they travel, you know, through the different planets, and he travels over the surface of um, Lanios, and you know he sees like rolling hills and and towns or gatherings, like they call them, and people. They look like, like humans, and, and they look like humans. Hmm. They're very human-like. And then he returns back. I'm not really remembering because I didn't take notes while I was, I was listening to this book. 
But it ends up that he goes back again and he gets like inoculated and they like give him a wash that's like a, some kind of bacterial spray wash and they like hose him off and stuff. And then he gets entered and like they go to the planet and he gets introduced to his wife and he shows them around town and they have, have like moving sidewalks. Everybody's like on this moving sidewalk. It's like <laughs> Jetsons. <laughs> it's very much like Jetsons because he talks about like the laundry method as well. It's like they have a laundry room that has hooks and you just hang your clothes up on the hooks and then it gets like you close the door and it gets sprayed and washed and dried. And then you just open up the door and they're ready to wear again. And everything's very much like in the context of the 60s yeah. of the atomic era that the United States was going through. Mid-century modern. Mid-century modern. <laughs> all mid-century modern furniture. I feel like all the, all the ships went like... <laughs> you know... That's exactly so. The on the interview, the um, TV guy the next day asked him, you know, well, what kind of sound did the ship make? Like, was it loud? He's like, it wasn't really loud. He's like, it kind of reminded me a little bit of a helicopter, but it wasn't as loud. But it had kind of like this vibrating sound. Oh, see, that's what people say about them. That's mm -hmm. what the crazy guy I talked about said mm -hmm. too. No, no, he may and, have had something. And so they're on the planet there with injured Cole and his family. He's and, down there with them. And he's down there with them. And this was just a casual. This is the book that that Woody is everybody wrote. talking to him with their minds. Everybody's is talking, he talking to, him to them with his mind now. Yes, or yes. Still? Oh, he can do it oh, too. Yes, yes. Oh. And, and that's one of the things they said. Stop. Blah blah blah, because yeah. he's speaking English. But he's freaking everybody out. <laughs> Southern English too, because of. Because what? he has clothes on. <gasps> what? Because these people are nudists. Oh, my God. Which it was kind of just offhandedly thrown out there in the book. And it seems to me a 1960s, 70s book casually talking about nobody's wearing clothes and he talks, <laughs> summer of love is coming up yes he, he talks about nobody's wearing clothes like when it's warm he's like and nobody's nobody's overweight mm. i like, was just gonna say they didn't need them if they're well i mean we need them for certain things like we have to have it to stay alive right and and he if says like they only temperatures like eh. Yeah, but if the temperature's cold, then they wear clothes. Oh. But if it's warm, everybody's just all out there. Okay, so it does get cold, and genitalia? they do wear clothes. Yes. Do they have genitalia? He didn't go into that detail. Oh, come on. Because, I know. <laughs> well, the, the casual nudist remark really threw me, because I, that made me do a <laughs> double take, because it was their thing, like, okay, it's and everybody has no clothes on. Like, you've got your mental picture of yes. this entire scene, and then all of a sudden, everybody's naked. Everybody's naked. And then he basically just says well i just like get naked too to make everybody feel comfortable no oh. and i was really like okay how's this book gonna go <laughs> like we're here now we're going now, back to marlea's story now where now where are we really headed <laughs> alien sex but it's really like nothing loot i mean he doesn't mention anything in any kind of sexual way like he mentions nothing sexually. Good, good for him. It's just a matter of fact. Like everybody's nude. They're kind of uncomfortable because I'm not nude, so I get nude. He's a good guy. People do that in Alaska too, and in, in their in get their nude. um yeah in their um steam rooms in the winter. Oh, mm -hmm. I know this 
secondhand from somebody who lived in Alaska. My oh, cousin Candace. Yeah. Give a shout out to Candace. She listens to the show. Woo, she tell me Candace. the stories. You're, it's like the culture. Like Make you get people. in those um, well, steam rooms and you're supposed to be nude. Well, you know what? I mean, it is the Christian, Puritan, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. like upbringing of everybody in this nation. But I don't know, though. I'm going to tell you, I wouldn't walk around July with nothing on. Why? Chasing? Yes! It'd be all stuck. I need oh. something to wick. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, but apparently... Stick into those lawn well, chairs? What? No. Oh, no. That doesn't sound comfortable. <laughs> that doesn't sound comfortable. Apparently... Tailgating like, in the nude. They have... Barbecues. Like, department stores and factories and everything oh, like that. Man. And they work in the nude. And he's taken... He says, like... That is unsafe. This this one steel plant that they went <gasps> to... What? Everybody basically was working. And then afterwards, there's, like... Okay. I don't know if I heard this right, y'all. But it sounded to me like... <laughs> There's like some sort of ring of water and they just kind of like walk through it and it cleans them off and they go home and they're all clean. Like they don't have any of the soot or anything, but it seems like if you have ding- dangly bits, yeah, 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 or OSHA. any kind of OSHA, there's no OSHA, OSHA here. There's no OSHA there. So we're a capitalist I mean, society. We are. What? Yeah, is we're a capitalist but society. But no, 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 they're not mm. because they did. He did go into this. He said that there you get everybody basically gets paid the same amount of money. It's mm. like there is no like one person making more than the other, and that's another thing he pointed out. It's like everybody is equal there. But of course, when he says everybody that's equal there, everybody that he talked about was like all men are equal. Mm-hmm. All men make the same. So there was nothing related to the female. Mm. So they must have had genitalia. Um, he says that you get money from the council or whatever. And then if it depends on the amount of children that you have, but you can only have so many children. However, sounds a lot like communism. It does. It, it does sounds like kind of socialist, socialism, kind of um, communism, um, though. Everybody gets the same. Everybody gets the same. And but if you can adopt children, you can only have like two children, but you can adopt children. And I'm like, well, how do you adopt children? Like, where's the children to adopt? Apparently, just like here, you know, parents die and accidents and, and well, stuff like that. Well, they're naked at the still factory. plant. Right. <laughs> Nakedness accidents. All right, there's going to be accidents. My ding-dong got stuck exactly. in a machine. God. Pulled me in. Well, molten. 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 <laughs> yeah, hot stuff. 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 Right. <laughs> drip, drip. Right. Solder. I don't solder. know that stuff. Yes. You could die from drippy drip solder. Um, but there's, you know, so there's kids that you can adopt, but the more kids you got, the more money you get. But that's not the thing because in Laninos, the, they have God, God, there's only one God, there's no multiple religions and everybody's brought up to believe that everybody's equal. Everybody should be loved equally. They don't know hate. There's nothing like that in this community, this race of 
others and stuff like that. Is this going to be the story of how a human comes into the planet and introduces the concept of hate and then everybody kills each other in a big war? I don't know. We haven't heard from them lately. So probably. <laughs> maybe. It, it maybe happened. But that and smallpox. That and smallpox. <laughs> yes, exactly. Where is I going to go with that? All I'm right. Sorry. So there's no, there's no hate. Everybody gets paid the same. So John there's, there's no, there's no jealousy. There's, there's none, none of that. There's one God. Everybody worships. Everybody believes. Everybody's nice. Sounds like total bullshit. <laughs> um, and and they they come down here. You know, Intercole's called a seeker, and I really don't know why they come down here. I know that there's other species that supposedly are down here. Other species, but anyway, like let me let me, okay. let me let me let, get back. Let, let her, me get back let to get back. the um the the thing. Okay, okay. <laughs> sorry, jingle juice. He's totally there. Just went Wait, fucking I'm sorry, blank. he's there. I'm very. I see this all in my head. He's okay. there. There's he's one with his God. family. He's seen no the hate. still plants with naked people. He takes off his clothes. He takes off his clothes. He he's all. That's where we are. Where's I going with this? He takes off his clothes <laughs> and he turns into <laughs> Multi. All right. He comes back down. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows he's like the alien guy. Uh, I'm the um, alien guy. The way the book is written, it's kind of very much of the I am 1960s male. Everything I say is truth. There's nothing bad. Like my life and wife and children could be like miserable or dead, but I'm going to say everything's fine. Mm. So everything's written like in this very like idealistic way. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to, to judge by his book. Him and Indrid Cole and Indrid Cole's friends, they are all like best buds. They visit a lot. Apparently, the way that he writes, everybody in the area knows about aliens except aliens and stuff. But he still gets fired. Cause so he hangs out with Earth people? He hangs out with Earth people, yeah. He comes down. and But just mostly, like, this guy and maybe a couple of others. I think there's a couple of others reported cases. All of this happens. The government's interviewing him, inspecting him, like, following up on this. NICAP, which was like the big UFO hunters of the 50s, interview him and discredit him. Oh. Simply because interdepartmental jealousy, inner oh. something like we're the UFO experts. How, oh, God. You know, kind of. Why like didn't that. they come to me? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of. If this was real, deal. they would have come to me. And so, you know, he goes through all of this testing and he's talking like to these piece of people from NASA and he's talking to these NICAP people. Let me, if y'all don't know, I wrote down NICAP real quick hold on let me tell you what that stands for i'm looking it up too can i beat you okay you probably can beat me it's national investigations committee on aerial phenomenon yes so that was in, in back in the 50s and 60s those were the people that were in like the blue book project and that were actually you know area 51 and mm -hmm. all all that stuff so he's talking to these people and they're telling them like everything that he's described um, sounds legit. They know that he's not crazy because his psychiatrist reports, his doctor's report, he doesn't drink. Like, there's there's no reason. He's, he's not having a psychotic break. He's not having any kind of, like, 
a schizophrenic episode or anything like that. And, you know, these people, they come, all they want is just to be introduced to everybody. Oh, and this is what I was going to tell you and meet people and, and learn from us. Cause apparently even though they have space flight and they have nudity <laughs> and they've got awesome laundry services <laughs> and they can speak telepathically to each other. <laughs> what, how they started apparently hundreds and hundreds of years ago, a spaceship from earth what this is all planet of the apes now came and crashed on lanunos <gasps> what the fuck was there a chimp in it maybe oh and so the people that crashed on the planet that they live in you know they had the technology like earth people had the technology but then they lost it and then like the Mayan. Yeah. And and then they came back and they figured out ancient like aliens. Yeah, ancient yeah, ancient aliens and stuff. And then they spent hundreds of years of how do we make the spaceship fly again? And how how do we better ourselves and you know, one God and man society oh my and God, speaking so to trippy. Like, and then they came back to Earth. But apparently Earth still has like a lot more things because we're all materialistic. And so I don't know. It gets very confusing. It's very confusing. It's all right. crazy. So so he's telling these NASA people all of this, but how much he relayed Actually, I think he told of his space flight and all of this to the NASA people and to NICAP. They're like telling him, like, yeah, we've had other people reporting exactly the same kind of things that you haven't released, like, to the public exactly what you're saying. So, you know, it's just kind of weird, like, that you would have all these things happen mm -hmm. to you. But, and somebody in Mexico describing the exact same planet and people and person that you are mm, um, kind of Indrid Cold gets around. He does get around. And his friends get around too. And so he's Woody's going like, well, why are you not telling the American people that there's life out there and of these people on this planet and stuff like this? And the people, I don't know if it was from NASA or from NICAP, this pissed me off so bad, go, well, we cannot do that because women would freak the fuck out. Oh my god. Women, they said fuck you, they NASA. said women <laughs> would start committing mass suicide <laughs> that they would start quote unquote throwing babies out windows. Wow. And throwing themselves under the train. What? So they could oh the government god. could not release this information to the public because women couldn't handle it and would just commit suicide and throw their babies out the windows. That's a lie. We already saw hidden figures. We know there were black <laughs> female NASA scientists at this I time. Know, right. I know. So that's a lot of the nineteen fifties, sixties. Well they probably still believe Bullshit. that. Bullshit. Yeah bullshit that's going on so that's the reason so nothing pretty much came of that um, <laughs> women that's why women that's why so you know he ended up he's still a salesman he would go out to sales calls but it, after all of this that happened um when woody would take a sales call people would get like, him hey you're the alien guy right yeah, yeah you're the alien guy can you tell me this somebody told me that you were pregnant you know, ah! stuff like that. 
They're like, hey, I've called 15 times waiting for it to be you. And Every so, time I just send them away until it becomes you. Right. And and they would never buy anything. So his sales went down oh. because the people who were not actually interested in buying anything, mm-hmm. but just this, you know, that happening. And he needs to sell. Price of admission like, is I know, buying like, this. So, uh, yeah, I'll tell you everything. A great opportunity. What was he selling? Typewriters. Uh, he no. would like stereos and sewing machines and stuff the like that. Everybody is a sewing needs machine. A stereo in the yeah, 60s. but that's apparently not how he functioned. Mm. Oh, bless him. Too he, nice. He was, he was very. Yeah, he was way too nice. Um, that's why they trusting. picked him too. And probably. Probably. You know, again, he had like harassing phone calls. His kids would get bullied at school. Your dad's the weird space guy. Your dad's a liar. Got very stressed out, very depressed, started, like, having these bad headaches. So he lost his job. He eventually, like, they had to move three or four times. But oh, they, they no. always, like, caught up with him. Eventually his wife had enough and she divorced him. Aww. And so, like, all of these really bad things happened. And he really could not escape the the whole space alien thing. Thanks, fucking aliens. Mm-hmm. God. He probably should he go did. to Laos, Laos. Yeah. Well, he did. Um, he did remarry, and eventually, before, before he yes. Oh. Well, as far as we know, he did come back to Mineral Wells, which is where he was from, and died there in 1990. He never, like, the whole time that he's going through all of this and that everybody's interviewing him and stuff, he never recanted, never changed his statement. Everything stayed true. But really, towards the end, he never spoke about them. He didn't like mm. want to really have anything to do with them. But him and his daughter say that you know they had been visited by injured Cole many times, and she t- she talks about seeing injured Cole and his friends come and visit the family, hmm. and she is she and they look human. And they look human. They can. She just says that injured Cole like his darker. Well, they skin. were apparently if they came in on the. Yeah. All right. That he looks like kind of like George Hamilton. Mm. Like you know how like fake tan George oh, yeah. Hamilton. I just watched the old SNL skit last night making fun of that, but like from the A team. So one of the the one of the interesting things and Mr. T was probably another alien. That's probably true. That's probably true. No, George Papard. Oh, that's George Papard. That was the A team. Sorry. Sorry about that. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, Jingle Juice. One of the things with the reason I got on the whole injured Cole series is oddly enough from the um, let's say it's like the Honey Swamp Monster. From oh, Louisiana? Sw- uh, Honey Island. Honey, Honey Island, Island Swamp, Swamp Monster. Oh, yes. Monster. Yes. I I do not know how the crossover happened there, but while Darren Berger, Woody was. Uh, Doing his whole like alien interview stuff, John Keel contacted him because again, 1966, towards the end of 1966, is when the first Mothman appearance mm-hmm. came about. And then over the next year, multiple sightings of the Mothman, which this is not a Mothman episode. I feel like that needs to be its own. Yes, it its, deserves its own time. Its own thing. But it was happening at the same time. And Kill, who eventually like came in and investigated and wrote the book of the Mothman Prophecies, 
talked to Darren Berger about his UFO experience and all of this. Because during this time, they called this the high strangeness. And that is... Oh, that's cool. I love it. Actually a term that was... High strangeness? High strangeness was was coined coined by Joseph Hynek, who Joseph Joseph Hynek was an astronomer, professor, and ufologist. And he actually worked on the Blue Book Project and was all up in, um, he was on the government side, like he was their consultant and stuff. This, And he talked about like all the high strangeness. And so during this time in West Virginia, there was so many UFO sightings, so many people calling in about seeing lights and, and things and, and high strangeness. You know, and then the whole Mothman thing again at that time for the time from 1966-1967 took place up until the Silver Bridge collapse, which mm-hmm. actually happened 1967, but it was like December 15th. So we just like yeah, passed. it was near Christmas. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. It just there passed. Was shopping. Right. It just passed the anniversary of that. So we're talking about all of this injured cold stuff. And I'm looking this up, and you know, high strangeness in this area. And while I'm researching this, Hellier pops up. No, so the Kentucky Goblins Hellier. Hellier, Andrea on Facebook a year ago texted us and says, "You really need to watch Hellier, which is about the Kentucky Goblins." Well, actually it's about a lot more. But it starts off about the Kentucky Goblins, which is an episode that we did. It took me a year and I finally after researching Indra Cole and all the high strangeness that happened in 66 and 67 and listened to Hellier. And Hellier is a documentary starting out and and I'm just going to give you the I'm I'm not going to go into I can't go into it because of all of all of the things but like all of this really weird fucking shit was documented during this time and including the Kentucky well the Kentucky Goblins was like in the 57 Mm -hmm. or so so it's in Kentucky the Kentucky Goblins uh was like uh oh shit I'm totally isn't Hillier Kentucky no no the Kentucky Goblins was in Kelly Hopkinsville. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which actually is between the places that got blasted by the tornadoes a couple of weeks ago. Oh. It's like right in between. Was it Mayfield and Bowling Green mm. is where Hopkinsville is. And I'm like, okay, so how can the Kentucky Goblins and then all of this stuff happening in West Virginia makes sense. And one of the things that Hillier talks about is that the Mammoth Cave System. Oh, God. Mammoth is, Cave. Is mm. the largest mm. cave system like in the mm. world, basically. Mm. And it runs all under Kentucky, all in West Virginia. Even, I think, goes down maybe into Arkansas. With the Arkansas cave, like we're talking mm-hmm. about, like the whole, oh God, what the is his name? Cave people, the, the underground yeah, cave people by what's Sci-fi his, writer. by, yes, by what's his name that I cannot think of this. So, Not Stephen King. No. no. <laughs> um, but the amazing stories guy mm-hmm. that went to the planets or went to the underground of mm-hmm. these people. And the place starts with an L, but it's not the same as Woody's uh 
uh, Lanios. Um, but all of these, well, I guess the goblins weren't. I was like, the other, they're not terrestrial. Like, you don't think of the Mothman as terrestrial, or these aliens aren't terrestrial. They're from the sky. Well, the column, was it Ultra Beat? No, it's not um, UFO. Uh, it's not extraterrestrial, it's ultra terrestrial, I okay. think is what they call them. Um, meaning that. It's maybe not from the sky, but maybe from the earth hmm. kind of deal. But y'all, I really, y'all need to watch Hellier because it starts out with Greg and Dana Newark and they are, they used to do like ghost hunting kind of stuff and they have like a blog that they did for like all their ghost hunting stuff and they got an email, like they didn't do, I think from what I understand, they didn't do it for a while. And then they just happened to look like an, at an old email account. And in this email account was an email from this guy saying, please help. My house is being attacked by goblins. And they were like, what? Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, they talked to this guy and this guy emails him and he's telling that he lives in Kentucky and he lives near mine shaft. Yeah. And that his house and his children and his wife are being terrorized by these goblin like creatures. And he's like, they're like children that have no hair and no nose and ears, very much like the Kentucky goblins, but they don't have the, the big ears mm-hmm. stuff. And they come out at night. And they just raise like all kind. They bang on the house and they get like really bold. And one of the last emails I think they got is like they started like tapping on the windows of his children's window. Yeah, you move, you move. Yeah. Then you move. And and that's, I think, pretty much what he did. So this gets them interested in this area. And this guy lives in Hellier, Kentucky. And so that's where this whole documentary starts. It covers the fucking gamut of everything that we've been talking about. Hmm. So it covers the Mothman prophecies. It covers Indrid Cole. It covers the, you know, the little green man of Kelly Hopkinsville. So it, it tries to connect and you just have you just have to watch it. They do a really good job. And there's a lot of, like, the high strangeness was introduced, like that terminology. Um, there's another thing that they talk about when we're talking about Indrid Cole and the Mothman and all the UFO sightings in that area at that time. They call it synchronicities. And we've actually experienced synchronicities here because it's, it's very much like when our stories sync up, mm-hmm. like, for whatever reason. You know, we cover kind of the same or we have the same idea of where we go and our stories somehow interconnect. So synchronicity is actually a term that was introduced by a psychologist Carl Jung, and it is to describe circumstances that appear meaningfully related yet lack in casual connection, lack of casual connection. So there were so many synchronicities happening mm-hmm. at that time, so many stories that were similar happening at that time and not only happening at that time there but in South America and also in Mexico meeting the same people like they didn't have the internet so like information was not freely flowing so that they couldn't really get these stories 
but some of the people that uh, Woody met that lived on this planet, that he got, you know, rides in their spaceships or whatever, were the same ones, like, that people in Mexico were talking about or that people in South America were talking about. So there's, like, a lot of that synchronicity happening. They were like, okay, why these areas? So they talked about the Mammoth Cave systems, like, possibly being a connection for why this is happening. But they also talked a lot about liminality, which is an interesting idea. And it plays on because they talked about other dimensions as well. I mean, like I tell you, they, they cover the full gamut. And it really makes you think. But liminality is the in-between of something. Mm. So, Like the house in-between. The house in-between, exactly. And also when you have borders. like So like the Ohio and the West Virginia, where this was happening, was very close to the border of Ohio and West Virginia, you're like, well, big fuck, because that's man, that's man made, yeah. right? <laughs> However, it's man made only because there's a river based on yeah. geographical, it's based yeah, on yeah, yeah. geographical, right? Constraints, sometimes so, they are, sometimes, sometimes right? Sometimes so, they're not often, they are, <laughs> so there's like this right, river. Though. So, they, they talk about the uh, liminality of the river and borders of the in between two things, and they're talking about like how bridges can be a liminality, how borders set can be a liminality, how. What else? Uh, so anything really crossroads can be a, a liminality. So it's that even like, so we talk about like how when you leave one room and go to another, how you forget, you forget. how your memory's wiped. That's the liminality because you're going through that in-betweenness between room, one room and the other. That's creepy. Other things that can be a liminality is like airports and hotels. I feel that one. And I feel bathrooms. that one too. Yeah, anything that's like where you are not, where you're going briefly between two specific things. As a Dude, I seriously I like you started talking airports, about that, and I was like, oh, hotel. this is bullshit. And then you got to that, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the airport one got me and hotels. Yeah, and you know, so it could be a place. It can be a, a place in your mind as well. Creepy. So it could be physical, and it can be mentally as well. These are things Mammoth I don't want to believe Mammoth Cave System is in. the largest cave system in the world. Yeah. 420 I've, miles. I've looked at Mammoth Cave as a thing to talk about here. Yeah, so I'm glad I didn't because this is way better. Well, I think we should talk about it because it does it does connect so many things. Not go to it. Yes. Like, we should it, not, not go, go there. Yeah. I'm still like trying to get over my fourth grade trip to Sequoia Caverns. So I don't know if I could go the whole Well, if you watch Hellier, they go they go to some cave systems and they, they do different kinds of tests. And it's really well, and, and we'll talk about too. let's talk about this in the after show because okay. there's some things that they do in the thing uh, okay. after show. Um but go back into Ender Cole and I'll, I'll go ahead and wrap this up. Before Ender Cole was first seen Back in October, so Intercol was like November 2nd, 1966. In October of 16, two boys in uh, New Jersey were walking on a street and they saw a surreal figure standing near a fence. And as they walked closer, the figure ended up being a tall, bald man wearing a green suit that kind of shimmered that was staring at them with a huge grin. Oh, God. 
And this is kind of where the injured, cold, grinning man. Mm-hmm. Was of, he bald? He was not bald. He had yeah. a lot of hair. That's what but I it may have been one of his fellow people. It's the grin that, the, because that's how I know injured Cole is. is it's the, the grinning man. Is the grinning man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't do that. Stop that. <laughs> so after, Stop it. after injured Cole, the third sighting of him was actually uh, <laughs> in the Point Pleasant area of West Virginia. The Lilly mm-hmm. family had mm-hmm. uh, been reported seeing a pol- or reported having like poltergeist activity because that's something also that went on right be- like during the Mothman period, and they saw a diamond-shaped lights and. Lily's daughter, Linda, was sleeping one night and awoke to see a man standing over her. Always creepy. And the man was a big man, very broad. She didn't see his face very well, but saw that he was grinning at me and walked around the bed and stood right over me. I screamed and hid under the covers, and when I looked again, he was gone. Local creeper. So, but if you read the book, that in the book is called... My, was it my time on Lanulos? Visitors from Lanulos, um, my time, my contact with injured cold. And I'll put a link on the um, website. He talks about how injured was like very respectful of scaring anybody. He didn't want to scare his wife or his family. Like he would stay outside the house and not come in. Because he learned from these earlier encounters with children. Right. Well <laughs> well are either like the other people from Landon Lowe's were assholes. I, I don't I don't know what the deal is there. But he didn't hate them because they don't hate there. But they did but they don't hate. So they just didn't know how to act around people, I guess. I don't I don't know what the thing is there. But that is my story of um, injured coal. That's kind of fascinating. And yeah, and Woodrow, Darren Berger, and just the beginning of all the high strangeness in that area. I love that that word, high strangeness. It's fascinating. Such a cool term. So Good story, Patrice. Injured coal. Good story. Thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Happy holidays. Happy jingle, holidays. Jingle, jingle. <laughs> jingle juice. Jingle and juice sometimes. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
<laughs> Let's see. That's all. Sex with an alligator on a Christmas tree. <laughs> the alligator. Man. I don't even know. She's got to be beat. Go elf yourself. Go elf yourself. <laughs> the elf yourself. Yeah. This will elf you up. I was like real redneck there. This will elf you up. Gonna elf you up. A screaming Christmas motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's got my vote uh, I still like the go elf yourself Go elf yourself I've liked so many of these I would have signed off on most of what we've said I'm glad we're recording because I can't remember really what we said Jingle juice Yeah we'll have to Jingle juice Jingle juice I like jingle, jingle juice, juice. That's the final word Go elf yourself Well maybe we'll just name it all these The holiday hunch punch What? what Did you make that hun- up? Yeah Oh, that was good. Holiday What's... Hunch Punch. I ain't never heard that. You've <laughs> never heard of Hunch Punch? No. Hunch. Oh, then that's what it is. That's hunch. What... Hunch is to hunch over to like shoulders. Uh-uh. Like... What is Hunch Punch? <laughs> hunch. A hunch. A clue. To hunch. To Mm-mm. fold over at the shoulders. <laughs> uh-uh. It also means like hump it. Well, then it's Hump Punch. That doesn't sound as good. I'm not humping it. It's humping me right now. I know. <laughs> hunch punch is Urban Dictionary. Listen to this. <laughs> oh, God. They're always so good. <clears throat> Hold on. Wait. It's going to be the a... Easter egg. <clears throat> Where is their usage? It says, well, one night stand that you thought would be okay, but turns out to be awful. Megan got a hunch punched by Nate last night. Oh, my God. God. Ew. <laughs> okay, hunch punch is usually a mixture of stuff that you drink. It goes down like Kool-Aid, but without the notice, you're so messed up and wondering how you got there so quick. Yeah, this is, oh, that this sounds is about punch. right. <laughs> Holiday hunch punch. Holiday <laughs> Caution, hunch drinking punch. large quantities can result in cocaine usage. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> no. Just saying no. Bob, dude, I drank so much hunch punch, I don't remember a thing. Pedro, are you kidding? You were in the bathroom snorting coke with that girl. <laughs> Bob, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. It's the usages that are like fucking urban dictionary. It's always done this so but bad. But the one that was in the, like, you know, when you first Google, it says hunch punch. The act of masturbating in a hunched over position. Usually oh. done very quickly while looking out the blinds to see if your wife comes home. <laughs> You know, see that reads better to me. <laughs> that's that's hunch. <laughs> Fred went upstairs for a quick hunch and punch when he got home from work. Hunch and punch. It's so specific. I, I don't know. know if I want to drink that though. The hunch punch? That moonshine, the old smoky brand makes a hunch punch. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you shouldn't have read that last one. It's ruined everything. Yeah. <laughs> hunch punch. It's like the blinds. And- <laughs> It's also known as jungle juice. Jingle uh, juice. Jingle juice. Jingle juice. Jingle, juice. jingle all the way. Shit. Okay. I don't have a bell to ring. <laughs>